Well, today we're going to look at our third uh, message in this little teeny mini-series we're calling Pillars. And we've, I hope you've been enjoying it. We've been looking at um, pillars, meaning people whose lives serve as pillars upon which our understanding of Christianity stands. That they went before us and really established for us um, who we are, how we think, you know, what Christianity looks like today. And so the first one we looked at was the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was not a what? Jeremiah was not a bullfrog. He was not a good friend of mine, but he was a prophet of God. We looked at that, um, and we learned how his prophetic ministry um, affects, still is so effective today, um, so appropriate for today. Then last week, we looked at Augustine, the 4th century theologian, who really, his thinking and his writings still shape the Western church today. So we're part of the Western church, the European Western mind thinking and um, his thinking has shaped many of the things that we believe and do in the church, even these 1,600 years later. And so we did an Old Testament, an ancient church history. Today we're going to look at a New Testament, and next week is a more recent church history person. And so actually the week after, because next week we have a great missionary with us, Troy Tabor from, from Cambodia. You won't want to miss that. And so the guy we're going to talk about today, it's a guy we're going to talk about. Um, I'm going to kind of give you a, a, some ideas about him, and you can figure out who I'm talking about, see if you can, if you can guess it. I'd say that if this man had not come to know Jesus as a Savior and then served him faithfully, that our understanding of Christianity as we know it would be quite different. At least maybe God would have used some other way to accomplish the same things, but this man's life greatly, the New Testament is going to show us, greatly influenced many things that are foundational for us today in Christianity. Because of this man's ministry, we are called Christians, the Bible says, um, instead of something else. We could be called some other name other than Christian. The Bible talks about there was a place in time when we were first called Christians. It's tied to this man. That because of this man, we do not have to be circumcised to be saved, and you don't have to wear a yarmulke to church. You know what a yarmulke is? That little beanie that, that Jewish worshipers wear? Because of this guy, we don't have to do things like be circumcised and follow Jewish traditions in order to be Christians. And because of this guy, those of us who live outside the Middle East, who lives outside the Middle East here? All of us, right? Um, those of us who don't live in what we call the Holy Land, um, those of us who, who live outside of that, um, we have had the opportunity to hear the gospel. This guy was foundational in saying that, in enforcing or establishing, we need to take the gospel outside of Judaism and outside of the Middle East. So does anybody, can you think of who I might be talking about? Paul, 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 Paul. Nope. 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 Here's, this is why, what did I hear? Bar, what? Barnabas. I figured that, I didn't know if anybody would get that at all. Barnabas. That's what we want to talk about today, because we don't think about Barnabas right away. But you're going to find out that Barnabas is way more influential um, in establishing Christianity and helping these things that we understand is just normal function to be a part of our lives, that his life was influential in that. Now, Barnabas' given name wasn't Barnabas. Does anybody know what it was? The Bible says his name was Joseph. His name was Joseph, and the church, which they always did back then, or regularly did back then, um, they gave him a different name. 
And they gave him a name to reflect who he was and what he was like. And they gave him the name Barnabas. And the name Barnabas has a very specific meaning. It means son of encouragement. So Barnabas was named Thomas um, by mom and dad. And when he became a Christian, came into the church world, they looked at his life and they said, we're going to change your name. We're going to call you son of encouragement. Man, I want that. If you're going to change my name, I'd want to be known for being a son of encouragement. So let me give you a little thumbnail sketch of what we know about Barnabas from the scriptures, and then we're going to apply it to what's to say to us. So a little thumbnail. First of all, he was a Levite, meaning he was from the priestly line. He came from the island of Cyprus, um, who became a follower of Jesus early on, although the Bible doesn't tell us any information about how that happened. But we do know that the very in the very early church, um, when the church was just formed, Barnabas comes on the scene in the New Testament. And the way he showed up in the scriptures, of where we hear about him the first time, is that it says that he had had a piece of property, that he owned a piece of land, and that he sold it, and he gave the proceeds from that land to the apostles who were running the church in order to be used for the needs of the, of the people of God. So the first thing we see out of the shoot, the son of encouragement, is that he's selling his property and giving it away for the blessing of others. So now to put it in timeline context for you so you can kind of figure out where this, where this fits in that, if you then right after that in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, would be the story of two other people who said we want to jump on the bandwagon and do that, but do it in a little deceptive way. You have Ananias and Sapphira. Who remember, remember them? Barnabas sells land, gives it away, and says, here, give this to the poor and the needy in our church. Ananias and Sapphira see that, and they must have said, wow, he got some perks for doing that. People really think highly of him. So what did they do? They bought, took some land, they sold it, and they connived with each other and said, hey, let's say here's all the money, but we're going to keep back part of it. And what happened to them when they made that little scheme up? They fell over dead. They didn't fall over dead because they didn't, God didn't require them to sell their land. They fell over dead, it says, because they lied to the Holy Spirit. They were trying to, they were trying to say one thing that they're one thing and create this persona, but they were deceptive in their hearts and they lied. And I don't know why God did it that way. I'm glad he doesn't do that that way today because we would have a church full of empty chairs because we'd all be struck down dead because we've all probably lied and connived in our life at some time. Well, that's the time frame of Barnabas. And then in the book of Acts, we learn that Barnabas becomes a leader. We don't know how, but he becomes a leader. They're seeing his life, his generosity, his, his kindness, his encouragement, his knowledge of the scriptures. He becomes a leader in Jerusalem that does something very strategic in the development of the church. Um, there's this crazy Christian killing guy named Saul that starts saying, no, now I'm a follower of Jesus. And nobody believes it except for Barnabas. And Barnabas puts his arm around Saul and says, I believe in you, son, and takes him under and introduces him to the people in Jerusalem. Turn your Bible to Acts chapter 9. Let's look at what he did there. Just a couple of verses. Acts chapter 9, verses starting in verse 26. It says, and when he came to Jerusalem, he there is Saul. This will be very important. We're going to find out today. The name of Saul goes from Saul to Paul. Remember that? Like his name was originally Saul, and they changed it to Paul. And we're going to see the influence of Barnabas, or his position, a lot. We're going to see this in, in a little while. Based on Paul's name, when he goes from Saul to Paul, it's going to show the influence of Barnabas in his life. And so, um, Acts 9, verse 26, when he, Saul, who had just come to Christ, 
came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. But they were afraid of him. For a good reason. He was arresting and killing Christians. Um, not believing that he was a disciple. He's saying, hey, I'm following Jesus. And they're like, we don't believe him. He's a liar. He's a, he's a, he's a um, spy. He's just trying to figure this out to arrest us all and throw us in jail. Verse 27. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. Okay, so he's the guy who says, hey, I believe in you, Saul. Come with me. I'm a leader in the church. Let me introduce you to the rest of the leaders. And then later in the, in the, in the Bible... We've, in, in Acts, we find that when a large number of Greeks, anybody Greek descent here? None? No Greek descent. All right. So one. Okay. Randy says he's part Greek. Anybody like euros? Okay. There we go. Good enough. So when a large number of Greeks uh, were saved in Antioch, the church at Jerusalem then, which is the headquarters of the church, sends Barnabas to disciple them. And listen to what it says. Slip in your Bible, Acts, a couple of chapters, to Acts chapter 11. Starting in verse 22. It says, And the news about them reached, these are the Greeks who got saved in, in Antioch, and the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch, and when, and when he arrived, he witnessed the grace of God, and he rejoiced, and he began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith, and a considerable number were brought to the Lord. Look at that. It says, he's a resolute, he has a resolute heart, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, what did Barnabas do in Antioch when he was sent down there? The first thing he did, he went out and he got Saul. Remember, Saul's the guy he introduced. He's not Paul yet. He got Saul, still called Saul, and he brought him along. Saul's still a minor character in the church at this time. He brings him along, and he and Saul spent a year at Antioch teaching and discipling. And it says in verse 26... This is the first place the followers of Jesus were called what? Christians. So because of Barnabas' influence and the work that he and Saul are doing there, and he's the leader of the work, it's the first time people said, I think we'll call this group of people Christians. Well, we next find Barnabas um, listed in Acts, listed among the prophets and the teachers, the leaders of the church in Antioch. Um, and he's, being, he's selected by the Holy Spirit, along with Saul, not Paul yet, Saul, to go on the church's first ever missionary journey. Interestingly, Barnabas is seen as a predominant character here. If I was to ask you about the church's missionary journeys, and I said, who led them? I said, I bet you, I said, to everyone, who led them? 99% of us would say, Paul. But that's not what the scripture says here. Look at Acts 13.1, at 13.2. Set apart for me who? Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them to. So Barnabas is still the primary figure. Saul is still Saul, not yet known as Paul, the great, who becomes the great apostle. So set apart for me 
Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called you to. And because of this missionary work initiated by the Holy Spirit, but led through the ministry of Barnabas, the priority was established of taking the gospel around the world. And I want to tell you something, friends, that is good news for us. Because none of us live in the Middle East. And we've heard the gospel because the priority was established of taking the God. The Holy Spirit led it, but when he said, pick the person to lead the first missionary journey, the Holy Spirit put his finger on Barnabas and Saul. And we next then find Barnabas as a key figure after he goes on his missionary journey, comes back. He becomes a key figure in what the Bible calls in Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council. Now, I know some of us think, you know, church should just be free-flowing and there's never any structure. Well, that's not the Bible way of doing it. In Acts 15, they have had a whole bunch of problems going on. They're trying to figure out what's this fledgling church supposed to look like. And they got an issue. It says in Acts 15 that some men had come into the church teaching this, that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So saying in order to be a Christian, even saved, not saying what's just smart or wise, but to be saved, you must be circumcised. So they gather a, they, a council of the leaders of the church at Jerusalem and say that we have to figure this out. So Barnabas and Saul still were sent to Jerusalem to the apostles to discuss the matter. And in that meeting, Peter, leader of the church, discusses how God had sent him to preach to Gentiles. Remember, God sent him to Cornelius and his household without keeping any Jewish customs. And then Barnabas, and now it's first time, Barnabas and Paul, it says now, after his mission, first missionary journey, told of all the signs and the wonders that had, they had done through them among the Gentiles. And after hearing this, James, the half-brother of Jesus, comes to the conclusion for the group that Gentiles do not have to keep Jewish customs. So that you and me, non-Jews, guess what? We don't, men, we don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And guess what? You didn't have to wear a yarmulke to church today. Partially because of the ministry here, the leadership of Barnabas. And then we learn one more important thing about Barnabas in the book of Acts. After this Jerusalem council... Paul and Barnabas, and now it changed, the word order is changing. It's saying Paul and Barnabas, not Barnabas and Saul. Paul and Barnabas wanted to set out on a second missionary journey, but they had a problem. Anybody know what the problem was in that journey? Barnabas, son of encouragement, wanted to take Mark along, known as John Mark. Wanted to take Mark along, but Paul refused because Mark had deserted them on their first missionary journey. The issue became so big, it says, such a conflict between Paul and Barnabas that they parted ways and Paul took Silas as his partner and went, on, went one way while Barnabas took Mark and went another way. Now, from then on in the scriptures, we don't hear about Barnabas anymore, but we do hear from church history, we don't know the time gap, we do hear from church history that Barnabas was then martyred on Cyprus, the island that he came from. And what we do know from his interaction with that second missionary journey and whatever followed, 
we do know that in the, in the following years, after we don't hear about Barnabas anymore, Paul requests that Mark come to him. And he says this, and I always like this because my name is Mark. Bring Mark with me, it says, because he is useful to me for service. And so he, so Mark, that Paul would have nothing to do with, Barnabas has spent this time with, and now later Paul is saying, bring Mark. Barnabas may be dead by now. Bring Mark with you because he is useful to me for service. So Barnabas's ministry, uh, Barnabas's mentoring ministry was effective, obviously, in the life of Mark. Now, with that understanding of Barnabas's life, can you see why we have to select Barnabas as a pillar of Christianity? Well, we may not have the beliefs we have, the customs we have, the leaders that we have learned from and, and, and found, established Christianity, had it not been for the encouragement ministry of Barnabas. Make sense? Now, let's ask ourselves, what can we learn? What could you and I imitate under the leading of the Holy Spirit from the life of Barnabas that will help us be more fully developed followers of Jesus. Because that's what we're talking about today all the time. How do, we get, how do we get better? How do we grow in Christ like this? How do we know Jesus more? What could we learn from Barnabas that could help us? And could help the church? And could help the world? Well, obviously, we could pick out some of the qualities that Scripture mentioned. First, it's the first thing we said about him was he was generous. That he gave away his assets for the benefit of others. That he saw people as more valuable than stuff. That's surely a notable trait. But what else do we know about him? We could talk about that he was described, as it says, uh, when he was sent to Antioch, as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. I can't think of a description I'd rather have put on my tombstone than he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. Being good, he was morally upright, kind, and dependable, and an encourager. And it says he was full of the Holy Spirit. His life was marked by submission to God's presence. He followed the Spirit's direction instead of his own. When you saw him and encountered him, you experienced the presence of God by the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And these are wonderful qualities, ones that we should want in ourselves. But there's another quality about Barnabas that the name that the church gave him defines, the quality that I think we should spend a little time unpacking a little better to understand it more, and that's this, that Barnabas was the son of encouragement, that he, that his life was given to encouraging, to helping, and to blessing other people outside of himself. And really, as we look at everything about Barnabas, we see, we see about him in scriptures, we find that this is the thread that runs through his entire life. He lived his life, not for himself. He lived his life to be a blessing to others, to help others become all that God intended for them to be. And what an unusual way to live, because that's not the way we're taught to live. We're taught to live for make your plan, set your goals, accomplish your things. Barnabas didn't live that way. He lived his life saying, how can God use me to be a blessing 
in other people's lives so other people can become what, they, what God intends for them to be. Think about how we can see this in his relationship with Saul, who we then later know as Paul, who I think by all estimations people would say Paul, outside of Jesus, is the, was the most influential Christian to ever exist, right? So what can we see about Barnabas in the life of Saul, who becomes Paul? Well, after Paul had his dramatic, uh, and it's still called Saul, Damascus Road experience with Jesus, where Jesus literally, it says, knocked him to the ground and blinded him for a period of time to get his attention while Paul was on the way to persecute, arrest, and maybe kill Christian people, that Saul has this encounter with Jesus. Saul begins to preach about Jesus as the Son of God. It sounds great, but the disciples did not believe him for one second. They didn't trust him. They were afraid of him, but not Barnabas. And here's the key about Barnabas. Somehow, he saw something in Paul that others didn't see. Somehow, he was able to separate Saul's past. This is the key here. Separate Saul's past where he persecuted and killed Christians from what God was doing in Saul's life presently. And friends, if we're going to be an encourager, that's important. You want to know a struggle that I have in helping people? I have, a, I have a, a memory like an elephant. And I remember what people have done and said and failed at. And then when they want to do something else, I remember that. And I go, is it worth the time? Somehow in Paul in Barnabas' life, he was different. He understood all that baggage from Paul. And he heard the story of his conversion Again, remember, he, he really was converted. Paul really was a different person. He went from Saul to Paul. He really became a different person from a persecutor to a preacher. And somehow Barnabas was able to see that. He did not let Paul's past define him. So Barnabas befriends Saul and introduces him to the church leaders. And then a little while later, when Barnabas was sent by the church leadership to go teach and disciple the Greek converts in Antioch, what did he do? The very first thing. What did he do? He brought, he went, it says he sought out. He went and found Saul. Because why? Because Barnabas saw something worth investing into in Saul. And here's the deal. And you know this if you're in a people business. A lot of times it's just a lot easier to do it yourself. And if you do it yourself, you know it gets done right. But you know what? Saul knew better. I mean, Barnabas knew better. It would probably have been easier to just go and do the work alone instead of taking this fledgling new guy who really knows nothing yet, but he took Saul along to train him and to shape him and to mentor him. And then the Lord calls both Barnabas and Saul to go on the first missionary journey. And at the outset of that journey, Barnabas is still the predominant, predominant leader. He's still the, the main guy. But something happens on that missionary journey. As Barnabas continues to pour into Saul, and Saul starts to become the man that God intended Saul, Paul to become, Saul changes his name from Saul to Paul and emerges from that first missionary journey as this leader that we know of as the Apostle Paul. So when I say, who's this guy who this all defines? Everybody goes, Paul. In the very beginning of the sermon. Who did all these things? Paul. 
because we all know of the great apostle Paul. And interestingly, from scripture and church history, we have no evidence that the fact that they started off with Barnabas as the leader and Paul as the follower and ends up with Paul as the leader and Barnabas as the follower. Interestingly, there is no evidence that that bothered Barnabas at all. There's no evidence of any power struggle. In fact, it's the fulfillment of what Barnabas always wanted. For Paul to become everything that God meant for him to become. Barnabas was truly a son of encouragement. He gave his life energy so that other people could blossom. You think of that? He gave his life energy. Not to accomplish something for himself. He gave his life energy to pour into other people so they could become all that God wanted them to be. And friends, this is also clearly what we see when Paul and Barnabas then disagreed about Mark, John Mark, on the the beginning of that second missionary journey. Paul was insistent. He said he bailed on us on the first trip. We don't know the details, but we just know that John Mark started on the first trip, and somewhere along the way, whether he just got too hard, or he was just mad, or he got sick, something happened, he left the missionary journey. And Paul stands there as the Paul, who is Paul. Paul's like this, this is the way it is kind of a guy. And he says, there's no way that's going, that he's going to go with me in a second trip. Isn't that interesting? Because he was the recipient of Barnabas' grace all these years of ministry, all these second chances. And here Paul, who had been shown so much grace by Barnabas, would not allow Mark to come along, even though the son of encouragement is probably saying, hey, dude, I did the same thing with you. When you were a nobody, I went and got you and took you to Antioch, and we ministered together. And they had an incredible disagreement. But Barnabas in the situation was true to his name. He took Mark under his wing, and he gave him a second chance. And friends, that's exactly what Mark needed. For we find later, eventually in Scripture and in church history, that Mark became a great leader. Matter of fact, in your Bible, you hold a letter, a book that he wrote, the Gospel of Mark. Had they just given up on Mark, we might have three Gospels instead of four. And all the Holy Spirit's the one who controls all that, but we might not have a Gospel of Mark. It might be the Gospel of Hobab. I don't know. Somebody else got it to choose to do it. But because Barnabas, the Holy Spirit used Barnabas in Mark's life, Mark became who Mark was, and he eventually wrote the gospel. Why? Because of, because of Barnabas. You know what else Mark did in his life? Church history says he's the founder of the Christian church in Egypt. He was a martyr in Egypt, is what, the, what, the, uh, what history tells us. As he established the church, Christianity went to Egypt. Because of the ministry of Mark. Had Barnabas not believed in Mark, who knows what would have happened to Mark. Mark needed a second chance. He maybe needed a third chance and a fourth chance. He needed somebody to believe in him. And look at what we can learn from Barnabas. Believing in people matters. Investing in others is worth it. Believing in others is essential. Helping others to grow and to outshine you is a wonderful trait. Is that the goal you have for your kids? I'm not talking economically, because that's the easy way. But you want your kids to outshine you? 
and your grandkids to outshine you. You invest in them so that they are they, their walk with God is greater than theirs. I always said this because I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I said, my goal is when my kids are 18, they will be at a launch pad that I was at when I was 40. So they don't have to unlearn all the garbage that I had to unlearn when I came to Jesus. And it took me, you know, until I was 40 to finally maybe figure some things out. I said, I want them to shoot at a launch pad so they can go higher and do more for Jesus than I ever could in my entire life. Friends, that's just a kind of a Barnabas kind of view of life. And I'm no Barnabas. Hope to become, right? But you know what? Look at, we can live lives where the main goal of our life is to help other people grow so they can outshine us. It's a wonderful trait. Friends, I believe that we all can be like Barnabas. I think Paul could have been like Barnabas. I think it's a choice we make. We can all be like Barnabas. Think about this. Who can you invest into? What teenager do you know that what they really need the most is a long-term, loving, non-judgmental friend? And you go, but they drive me nuts. Don't you think Paul and Mark drove Barnabas nuts? I bet you want to strangle. And when, they, when they split up in the second mission journey, I bet you Barnabas wanted to strangle Paul. Like, dude, I've been doing this for your whole life and you won't give this guy a second chance? We all need people. Sometimes they frustrate, right? But, but you have the opportunity. You have the opportunity to put your arm around somebody, somebody who's struggling their faith, somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet. For you to say, my life exists not to get something out of them, for them to help me accomplish my goals. And that's the way you should look at life. Others exist to help me accomplish my goals. Barnabas was the opposite. I exist to help you accomplish the goals that God has for you. He looked at the world differently. So what teen is out there? A young person's out there. Somebody who's had a, a, a tough upbringing that, you know, grandma and grandpa are trying to raise them or, or, answer, or they're in foster care or they're just in a tough home life. Or maybe they're not in a tough home life, but they just don't seem to get it. And you could be the Barnabas to come alongside them and be that voice that helps them to become all that God intends for them to be. You know what? Right now, we have a whole group of people who are ministering to early childhood, you know, our preschool, our toddler, our three ages down there, and then are in kids' church right now, K through five. You know what they're being? Barnabases. A bunch of you are part of that. We have so many adults working with our kids. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And it's what it's supposed to be. Like 35 of you who do kids' ministry. No, that's not even counting nursery and preschool. Way more than that. 45 of you, 50 of you, who regularly invest in our kids. You know what you're being? You're being a Barnabas. You're not babysitting. You're not just wasting time. You're being a Barnabas when you're in there. You're being a son of encouragement. You're encouraging them to go after whatever God wants them to become. That's what you're doing when you're doing ministry for our kids in the church and our youth in the church. When Wednesday nights, those of you who just had a hard day at work and you don't feel like going to youth group or doing kids club, but you do it anyways and you plaster a smile on your face and you say, I'm going to go love these kids, you're being a Barnabas. 
I don't want to embarrass them, but Suzanne and I had dinner with the Bornhoffers the other night. And what they don't know is when we walked away, I'm like, man, they're stinking Barnabas. Of course, I was writing a sermon about it, so I was thinking about it. But I'm like, all they kept talking about, oh, this kid, this is what makes this kid tick. This makes this kid. This is a good kid. People think he's a problem, but this is a good kid. And then, you know what? All you got to do with this kid, I found if I sit next to this kid, I go play basketball with this kid. This works with this kid. It was all about, how do I help this kid, this kid, this kid, this kid, this kid? And a bunch of you are that way. You know what? At the end of your day, on a Wednesday night, you're going, you want to know a secret about Wednesday night ministry? I never want to come. 30 years I've been the pastor. There's not a Wednesday night in my life that I said, oh, I'm so glad it's Wednesday night. I'm tired. I, I spent, like you, all day working. And you know what I do? And my wife and my kids when they were little and now they're adults, guess what? You know what I do? I drink another cup of coffee And I go to church, and there's not been as God as my witness, not one time that I can remember that I was disappointed that I went. You go, I'm too tired to come to prayer on Wednesday night. Guess what? Not one Wednesday, because right now, if you're visiting, we're doing two months of Wednesday night prayer. We only have one adult class. Our kids' stuff's going on, but all the rest of the classes, we're just meeting in here for prayer. We're trying to, up until Pentecost, say, God, just speak to our hearts. What do you want? And you know what? Again, don't tell anybody. I never want to come. I'm telling you. I'm like, I'm at home. I just ate supper. I'm like, can we just stay home tonight? And you get up and you get in the car and I come here. 100% of the time, I'm so glad I came. Friends, being a Barnabas matters. You're investing into other people. What a wonderful opportunity every one of us has being sons and daughters of encouragement to other people. Sons and daughters of encouragement. Friends, let's ask God to show us who he wants each of us to invest into. Interesting thing about Barnabas. They call him son of encouragement. I'm sure he was that with everybody. But I only see in scripture in two, two people it identifies that he's encouraging. Now, I'm sure there are others that are not mentioned, right? Right? But two people that it identifies very much that he was their main encourager. Saul, who becomes Paul, and John Mark, who becomes a writer of the gospel and and the founder of the church in Egypt. So he probably didn't have 60 people. But man, can you imagine if your life and my life, we all had two? That they outshone us? They just shine brightly because we invested into them? We challenged them. We blessed them. We gave them a fourth chance and a sixth chance and a twelfth chance when everybody else says no and all the world's being Paul going, no. And you're going, no, I see something different. Imagine a change we can make in our church and in the world if we'll believe in other people. It sounds a little bit like Jesus to me. He takes 12 misfits. Anybody watch the series? What's that series? It's in second season. Uh, the Chosen. Anybody watch that season? It's an excellent series if you've not watched it. About Jesus and his disciples. You know what I like about it the best? It makes the disciples out to be a total bunch of misfits. Peter's a crook. And John Mark, I mean, and Matthew has, has Asperger's or something. You know, um, he's on the spectrum, without a doubt. You know, and he, and he says, these are the people Jesus uses. 
He pulls them on purpose. And there are a bunch, there are a bunch of people of all these challenges. Peter's in the movie, you know, it's all made up. He's, he's a crook, you know, and Jesus calls a crook, you know, and changes his life. That's the way Jesus is. He sees what can be. That's what he sees in you. He sees what can be. He sees something amazing in every single one of you. Not one of you is an accident. Not one of you has a, God doesn't have a bright plan for. Somebody needs to encourage you. And you can encourage others. And that's why I see Barnabas as a pillar. Because he's given us this model to say, man, what a world it would be if we're all just a little bit more like Barnabas. Amen? Let's pray together. Jesus, you are the God that sees the good in each of us. Jesus, you looked at a lady caught in adultery. Everybody wanted to kill her. No second chance. And you did not condemn her. And then you looked at her and you said, now, just go and sin no more. You had something better for her. You didn't tell her to stay in her ways that were destructive for her. You said, I've got a better way. You looked at a lady at a well who no one would give a second chance to. Nobody. She's getting water in the middle of the day because she can't come up with the rest of the ladies because she is unwanted and unloved. And you go talk to her. A woman, a Samaritan, five husbands, and she's living with somebody. And you give her a second chance. You give her the the, the greatest chance. And you say, let me give you living water. Living water, a real life. Break free from the chains of all the junk, all the pain, all the disappointment. Let me give you a real life. And you gave her real life. She came to know you and she told everybody about you as Savior. Because you gave her a hundredth chance. Now, Lord, I have to believe in this very room that there are people sitting here today who personally feel unworthy. They don't feel like they're going to amount to anything. They ever have amounted to anything. And they've tried and they've failed. And they say, I'm just not, I'm too tired to try again. But like Barnabas, you come. Maybe Barnabas like you, rather. And in this moment, you come and you say, I believe in you. And I have a bright future for you. And Lord, I have to believe that in the sound of my voice today, there are those of us that right now a face is coming into our mind of somebody who needs a Barnabas. It's that child, that teenager we're just tired of. We just can't take anymore. It's that young adult. It's that, it's that brother-in-law, that neighbor, that little kid that life's maybe not dealt them a good hand and they're not responding well and 
and they need someone to be a Barnabas in their life. Right now, Lord, cause those faces just to appear in our hearts, our minds. That name to come across our thinking. Help us to see people differently. To see those people that are acting out because they're broken and wounded and scared. That don't believe in themselves. See them differently. Help us to see like a Barnabas something in there that no one else sees. When everybody says, no, that Saul is a liar and a murderer. He saw the great apostle Paul who would change the world for 2,000 years. Lord, that's because he was full of spirit. He could see with eyes beyond his own. Fill us with your spirit in such a way that we can see people the way you see them. Lord, the world would be so much better if we didn't just live for ourselves, but we live for others problems of the world would go away. We can't maybe change the whole world, Lord, but we can change our worlds. So don't let us just hear this little word today and go, oh, that was interesting. Yeah, I learned about Barnabas. Help there to be something spiritual that happens inside of our souls right now. That just breathes a new way of life, a new way of seeing people into us so that we can believe in people the way you believe in people. Now friends, as we're sitting in the presence of the Lord, our eyes are closed, kind of a private moment. Maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online and you need a second chance or a 50th chance for Jesus. Today you're saying, Pastor Mark, I want to go all in with Jesus. I've been half-hearted. I've been not really living at all the way I'm supposed to, but I want to go all in today. I know I need Jesus, and I'm tired of doing it my own way, and I need to say yes. Yes with all of my life. Yes in every area of my life. Spirit speaking to you today. Say yes. I want to give you a chance to respond. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise you that. But I want you to have a real significant moment with God. So if you're saying, I need that chance, today I'm saying yes to Jesus. I'm inviting him to be my Savior, my Lord. If I've done that, I'm inviting, I've been walking the wrong direction. I want to go back to the right direction. If you're saying you want to say yes, Jesus, that's me. Slip up your hand this morning. I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to have an, do an action for yourself. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you. You see our hearts. Lord, you see everyone in this room, everyone who's watching online, that's saying, you know what, Lord? I'm ready to go all in with you. 
If you're ready to do that this morning, you said yes. In your quietness of your heart, you can just say, Jesus, I need you today. I'm turning away from my old life. I'm turning away from ruling my own kingdom. And today, I'm turning to you. I'm going to trust in you. And I don't even know what that means fully. But I know you are God. You are the Son of God, Jesus. You gave your life for me on the cross. And you rose again. And you're alive right now. And you want to be in my life. So I give my life to you. All of its brokenness, all of its sin, all of its issues, I give my life to you. And I ask you to make me brand new. I need that 50th chance. And I thank you that you give it to me. So on this day, I give my life over to you. I trust you to care for me and to lead me, to guide me from this day forward. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us so much for giving us great examples from your word and from history and make us see what can be. So Lord, change us from the inside out more into the likeness of Jesus. Let this little dimension of that being an encourager work its way deep into our soul today so so it works its way out in our relationships with others. We trust you to do that work deep within us as we partner with you stand with you this morning. God is good, isn't he? Be a Barnabas. Doesn't take any special qualification. Doesn't take any degree. Doesn't take a certain amount of money. Just takes a heart that loves other people. Let me pray a great blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, friends. Have a wonderful day in Jesus. Enjoy God's creation and his people. And go encourage somebody. God bless you. Amen.